Talk of politics seems to be everywhere these days. It fills our social media feeds and comes up at gatherings with friends and family. It is also increasingly present in the workplace, where companies are taking stands on everything from environmental issues to racism and LGBT bigotry. But what does it all add up to? Talk, as the old saying goes, is cheap. And Tufts University political scientist Eitan Hirsch says that's especially true these days when it comes to how we engage with politics. He says the way in which many people do that not only isn't that productive, it has a corrosive effect on civic life. I'm Michael Jonas from Commonwealth Magazine, and Eitan Hirsch is our guest today on the podcast. Welcome, Eitan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, so in a recent issue of The Atlantic, uh, you had an essay titled Political Hobbyism Has Entered the Workplace. And the piece talks about uh, how this way of engaging with politics that you've termed political hobbyism is now a regular feature of lots of workplaces, especially white-collar workplaces. And I want to dig into that. But first, just help us understand this broader idea of political hobbyism. Sure. So a few years ago, I wrote a book uh, called Politics is for Power that characterized most most of people's engagement with politics as political hobbyism. That is, if you look at the people who are spending an hour or two a day cognitively engaged in politics, and by the way, there's more people than ever in that category, almost all of them are doing politics for their own intellectual and emotional ends. Um, They're not, they have no strategy, they have no goals, they're not doing politics to achieve anything specific, they're really learning a lot of facts and emotionally engaging in politics. And, uh, you know, in that book, I talked about why we do this more than the past and, and why it's on average not so good for people to be doing politics like this. And um, and so, uh, I mean, I guess the term, you know, kind of uh, conveys this idea that it's it's more like a hobby, like, oh, I like to bird watch. I like to, you know, you know, although maybe even bird watching, maybe that's even more active uh, in that you're out in the field and, and, and recording things. But but this idea of politics as a hobby, but not something that you're really kind of engaging in in a in a more meaningful way um, is now something that uh, you, you kind of say is now extending into the workplace, uh, you know, especially in the last few years. So just talk a little about what that has looked like or, or, or you know, what's the evidence that, that there's been this kind of uh, engagement with, with political hobbyism now, now at the workplace? Sure. So a few things have changed um, fairly rapidly. I think that brings us to a moment where Political hobbyism is not just everywhere, but actually maybe specifically at people's work environments. Um, One is, and I I think this is really one of the most dramatic political changes in our lifetimes, and that's why I'm writing my next book about it, is the realignment for basically the first time since the 1890s of uh, the business community with the political parties. That is, for a very long time, for over a century, with maybe a a slight exception during the Goldwater uh, uh, campaign in the 1960s, the business community has been aligned with the Republican Party. Um, And uh, you could see that in survey data, you could see that in donation data. uh, But in recent years, there's been this switch. And we're just, I think, collectively grappling with what it means. You see the switch in, you know, the kinds of places where executives are donating money. You see where CEOs are taking active stances on issues. They're taking them overwhelmingly on political issues that are that are on the left. When you ask the American public what they think about business engagement in politics, 
the Democrats want more business engagement. They want business to be active on a whole host of issues, both social, environmental, but also economic. They they think uh, that businesses should um, should uh, be engaging in politics for their own economic gains. That is the company's gains. And Republicans are increasingly down on business. They think business is a threat to free speech. They think big big companies are 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 woke and not serving their social values. And, you know, basically from the moment that we associate big business instead of with, you know, oil and gas to tech companies, um, this major change has happened. And um, and and so I think that's part of the the backstory here. And, and I, I really, you know, I don't think I'm, uh, I'm overstating it to say it's just a, it's a, one of the biggest changes to politics, you know, that, that we that we can possibly have uh, right now. Um, the other thing that's happening is people don't have a great sense of how they should be involved in politics. There's, I think, a broad um, lack of civic knowledge. Like, what would it mean to be involved in politics today in this hyper-nationalized, polarized environment? What, one thing that really struck me when I kind of went around talking about this last book I wrote about political hobbyism is that I kind of imagine that most people had an image of how they could be involved in politics, but they were really opting for this uh, lesser version of political hobbyism. But I actually learned that that really wasn't the story for a whole lot of people. Most people actually did need a bit of a, a roadmap and do need a bit of a roadmap for how they should be involved in politics. And oftentimes that roadmap starts with getting involved locally and focusing on state and local issues, which is really different than most people, how they conceive their relationship to politics. And so when you when you kind of insert that story into the workplace, what you have is a lot of folks who are upset about politics, particularly folks on the left, and they are now in, if they're in white collar companies, they're surrounded by people who have roughly similar values to them um, in a lot of industries. And they want to be involved. They're upset at what they hear on the news. They don't exactly know how to be involved. They're not, they're not agitating for state lawmaking uh to, to, they're not they're not advocating to fix the T, right? They're not advocating um, for early childhood education. They're advocating for their companies to make statements on issues at, at a national stage, and um, and so they've fallen prey, I think, to this this quite toxic version of political hobbyism at the workplace, where um, there's a lot of agitation and grief around politics, but it's often for re relatively symbolic. Uh, ends. Mm -hmm. And um, and so you're saying, but it kind of cuts, it's on both sides. It's both kind of the workers in, in predominantly professional white collar uh, settings, but it's also, you know, kind of the, the honchos or the leaders of these companies. And so there's kind of a, I don't know, synergy or that, you know, the, there's a coming together of both. But, but um, instead of just, you know, kind of existing kind of in, in sort of somewhat harmony about their outlook they're taking it's it's leading to kind of more more overt political uh, you know statements or or a, i don't i hesitate to say action because i think part of your point is there's not a lot of action to it or or actual engagement in the political process but but there's more kind of clear uh you know polit politicized politicization of the workplace in terms of statements companies make may come out with or or things employees are asking of them is that and that is that really different from from what we've seen before? It seems like what you're saying before is 
corporate America was kind of fundamentally kind of more aligned with the Republican Party, but it was just done quietly through their lobbying or their influence. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't this sense in the workplace where they'd say, okay, you know, team, let's get out there and push for, you know, whatever some Republican cause would be. It was, it was kind of a silent, uh, a, a silent alignment with Republican politics. Yeah, I think there, I think a synergy is a nice way to put it. I mean, obviously, look, the status quo has changed because, in part, the National Republican Party has become a kind of a populist party, and it's clearly anti-business on on certain dimensions like trade and immigration stuff that's been classically in in the domain of of business advocacy. But um, I, I think there's a broader cultural shift, right? So one of the shifts is again on the on the worker side, and I'm talking about you know white collar workers, the, the kind of businesses that are dominant in Massachusetts. Right. You have these businesses across the country being. Uh, much more liberal in the workforce and on the executive side. Okay, so everyone's becoming more democratic. Um, the other thing that's happened is is a, is a bit of a culture shift on the on the management side, and the culture shift is that um, managers, executives, they have learned to be more empathetic with their workforce over time. So, I, you know, interviewing CEOs around the country, you know, they say, you know, when I was growing up in the industry, you know, in the 80s or 90s, my boss would just yell at me. And we've learned through a lot of our trainings to how to be an executive to like, you know, empathize with our workers and try to understand where they're coming from. And that, that you know, makes morale better. And, and so some of that has been Okay, if our workers are upset at a Supreme Court decision, or if our workers are upset about something going on in the news, we should engage in conversation and workshops and all sorts of stuff um, around that. And obviously, like a, a, a version of this is what's happened in the in the world of of DEI, where. Um, when the the George Floyd protests were big, a lot of companies decided that it was important to them to, to make a statement or take or, or take some some action having uh, community discussions within their community and since then I think a lot of companies will report that they they've gotten into um, a new status quo where every time there's a political issue that emerges they feel obligated because they had done it in the previous time to to make a statement and um one thing that I pointed out in the Atlantic article is that you know even companies that are overwhelmingly liberal, maybe that 70% of their workforce is liberal, you still have 30% who aren't. <laughs> and um, a lot of these kinds of political discussions, whether they're motivated by sort of a, a set of activist workers who want this th these issues to be on the agenda, or they're, they're um, instigated by managers who want to try to make people feel that their their company has a civic mission and they they care about important things. Um, it it ends up being, you know, quite a, a toxic environment for for folks if they are on the other side of the uh, of these issues, and um, and uh, and so you see that when you talk to people all over. And I think that when Republicans and conservatives react to kind of woke capitalism, they're sitting in their own companies. I mean, we see in the university, you know, there's that politics in different forms is on the agenda all the time. And it can be quite uncomfortable if you're on the other side. You know, as as a conservative uh, manager at a big insurance firm talked to me, told me, he's like, you know, 
our work environments are, are hierarchical. You, you know, if your boss tells you to have a conversation about politics, you, not only do you say yes to the conversation, but you as the worker, not along with what your boss says, because, yeah, OK, I want to please my, my boss. You're not going to have a, a genuine political conversation with your boss. Um, but his view or his critique of the, the workplace is that um, managers and workers want to kind of imagine that that hierarchy doesn't exist and and try to have a, a genuine conversation to to bridge divides and so forth. And I think the question is like, is that is this really the right environment for that kind of bridge building to happen? Mm-hmm. And and I mean, what do you end up concluding? Because it sounds like you're you're a little uh, dubious of whether it is, but you also say that there is kind of a way to engage more meaningfully in civic action or, or political life. But how do you sort of see the the right way to do that? And is there a role for, you know, for that in the workplace kind of, you know, and being led from sort of on high, you know, which would seem to bring the same, the issues, the problems that you're just identifying? Yeah, absolutely. And so this is, you know, over the last few months, I've I've surveyed hundreds and hundreds of executives around the country. I've um, done these long interviews with dozens of them. I visited many. Uh, and uh, I've talked to a lot of folks here in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, the business community, I think, is very unusual in, in the way it, it proceeds in politics. I would say there is absolutely a right path. And the path is not so different than the path that I would encourage a regular person out of the workforce to be involved in politics, which is organizationally and at the state and local level. So I think when you see business leaders get involved at the state level, in the Chamber of Commerce, in the Business Roundtable, in associate industries, and they're there, they serve on a committee, they help advise their organization about how to advise lawmakers about tax or about environment or whatever, I think that's a great way to be involved. And I think that more uh, businesses and more workforces should be kind of understanding that that's a great way to be involved. That is, you know, when a big company says, we're going to place a couple of our folks on the committees of the Chamber of Commerce and and help weigh in on what on what um, the Chamber of Commerce recommends to the state, they are having a big impact on the community. And they're doing it in these ways that are political and civic, but not trying to chase every hot button 24 hour news story that really lowers the temperature on politics at the workplace, because, you know, it's not so controversial for a company to be involved in, you know, how do we fund and deal with uh, early childhood education? Like that's, you know, something that a lot of people want to do. How do we do it right? Um, I think where you go wrong is when you follow hot button issues and you just make stands and statements and lead conversations instead of of being involved. But my my take is that most people, even in people in fairly high uh, positions in companies, don't have a vision for how they could be involved in politics in this way. Um, they don't know much about these kinds of organizations and what they do. And um, if they did, I think they could have a, a you know a much larger impact than they certainly than they could have by by issuing a you know a press release or tweet about what their company thinks on a on a political issue. And when you talk about uh, you know that people don't really know how to engage in this way, you wrote a uh, you wrote in your piece about how. Um, you know, people who are, you know, who consider themselves political junkies, I'm quoting from it now, don't volunteer for candidates, campaigns or advocacy groups. They aren't active members of unions or religious communities or neighborhood associations. And I was kind of struck by um, 
you know, the, the ways in which that seemed to be capturing stuff that goes back even to certainly in the 90s, I think, when, when uh, Robert Putnam wrote the book Bowling Alone and talked about that, or uh, another Harvard professor, Theta Scotchpole, has written a lot about the decline of these kinds of organizations that were once just pillars of communities. And now they weren't all, um, you know, necessarily overtly political, but it just sounds like there was kind of an overall structure to how we lived our lives that that brought people together in in kind of real organizations, not just kind of, you know, sharing, you know, random uh, rants on Twitter <laughs> today. So is, the, is it a little bit of a continuation of that? You know, there's no bowling leagues and there's also less political engagement. Are they connected? Yeah, I think that's right. They're connected. But, you know, I think obviously those great works by Scotchville and Putnam predate the, the, the social media era in which the people who could be involved and sort of think they're involved or cognitively involved are spending an awful lot of time on politics. They're just doing it uh, by being amateur pundits uh, on social media. And I think that we're even farther away from from those kinds of civic communities. Again, oftentimes not political, right? But neighborhood associations uh, and 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 networks of people that you know you know how to get things done. Basically, a lot of people just don't have a, a view of how to get things done, and and they and and what they aspire to is something like national or international. So you see companies like startups in Massachusetts um, that um, when they think about being involved in po- politics, the reason that they want to make this you know tweets or 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 send these kind of big messages on national issues is because they aspire to be billion dollar companies that you know they, they aspire to move way beyond massachusetts right they don't want to be a a company that just like lives its life out here in the state and employs people they want to have they want to be big shots and because they want to be big shots they want to mimic um, what the the big shots in in national politics of business do, which is basically making statements and moving mountains with those those statements, as opposed to saying, you know what, <laughs> we're probably not going to be a billion dollar company. Maybe we should invest in our community. Right. I mean, I'm kind of reminded of there used to be this old line about a certain strata of uh, of of folks in Massachusetts. They would say, for whom for whom the New York Times is their local paper, right? Um, and, and and I think it's it's kind of that, and it's maybe not coincidental that the New York Times has become the the local paper for a lot more people, as as kind of a lot of the local media outlets have have uh, you know contracted. Um, that this kind of class that you're talking about, this professional class, does increasingly consume news and media from these national outlets, so that it kind of reinforces this view that this is where the action is and where the important stuff and debates is going on. Yeah, I think you for sure see that. It's really, I think it's quite embarrassing how many people in our state who are in positions of authority don't have a clue about what's going on in the state. Now, I don't want to leave it with criticism, though, because in many ways, Massachusetts has the resources and the community to do this better than any other environment. And some of that is because of our unfair advantages, right? So one thing that's kind of striking when you go around to other states and talk to the business community and hear what they think about Massachusetts, you hear, you know, an interesting set of characterizations. So, you know, the fact that our industries here are basically many of them are tied to universities or hospitals that can never go anywhere. <laughs> and so you have pharmaceutical industries and startups and you have a lot of industries that are coming because of, of, of basically stable universities that can never leave. It's a really different set of challenges than a state that has, you know, very few resources either 
you know, resources in the ground or resources in terms of, uh, in, you know, in terms of human capital. They, they have to actually work hard to get businesses to come to them and, and have a very different kind of a business environment because of that. Here, I think we have the pieces to have a, an active, involved business community, even in this era of, you know, international companies. And, and I, I think that, you know, if you look at the work of the folks, you know, at the business roundtable here or the chamber of commerce or or aim or others they are involved and i think they are in, in, in uh, involved very productively in politics and I, I actually think we have a very healthy relationship between business and politics relative to other states but i think relative to the much larger population of business leaders and aspiring business leaders they aren't in on the the strategy of being involved in state and local policy that's good for it's good for economic competitiveness. It's good for the community. Um, they don't know that recipe. And I, I think it'd be great for more of them to learn more, more about it. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. And as you were saying that, I was struck thinking about, um, you know, like here, the, the the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce, Jim Rooney, the head of it, has been sort of outspoken in the last few years. I mean, he, he happens to be sort of a small world here, a former general manager of the MBTA. But he has talked about the need to get things right with the T and, you know, from the business community's point of view, I mean, you know, and and that, and uh, and I think there is, uh, there's not the sort of reflexive, maybe complete anti-tax sentiment either that that could involve needing more funding for it and things like that. So I think you're right about examples of how that how that plays out. So is I mean, but you said you don't want to end sort of on a on a on a, on a down note. But as this hobbyism is kind of more and more as you know to the extent that I think you think it's negative, we might say it's infected the workplace. Um, is that, uh, I mean, do you think that is uh, still kind of gaining steam and, and, and to the detriment of our sort of civic uh, life? Or, um, you know, is do you think there's there could be a, a backlash? Or I know it's always hard to look into the future, but where, where do you see all of this heading? And, is, and, and in a broader sense, do you have... Is there any, are there any hopeful signs for us, I don't know, you know, reclaiming kind of political engagement in the, in the way that, that you would say is, is much more meaningful? Yeah. So it's, it's a great question. I, I think that particularly at times when um, people are upset about what's going on in politics, they need some kind of uh release they need to be able to to communicate that and again absent many of those people being involved in in other kinds of organizations it often will fall onto a workplace to to, to deal with that and i'm not sure that's going to go away i think i think that um uh so i think there'll be basically agitation <laughs> indefinitely and i think that um it will be in a more partisan direction. I don't. I think we're in the middle of this transformation of the political parties and the realignment with business. Not not at the end of it. Um, so I think businesses are are very should be very strongly motivated to figure out how to deal with this well because I don't think it's going away. Obviously, sometimes it's uh, it, we now see like sort of the the rise of of white collar unions uh, in a new way. So that's that's one. That's one possible outcome in the future. That's there's going to be more and more of that. Um, but you know, for me, I, again, I, I think the future is is helping companies and helping workers have a path to civic engagement that's that's meaningful beyond um, beyond the the workplace conversations and and beyond the 
the the the press releases. So, um, you know, from what I can tell, I'm not sure right now that the, the the DEI trainings or what's being taught in ESG and business schools are, are really getting this right. Um, and, and maybe the the biggest reason they're not getting it right is because people cannot help right now focusing on national politics. Uh, they feel particularly maybe in a place like Massachusetts that is relatively stable and and uh, and free from some of the 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 hard political fights elsewhere. Um, they feel like it's not important or they they think that the state stuff is beneath them. And you know to me, I think a lot more of them have to get with the program that uh, state and local politics are kind of where it's at, where most of the decisions get made on these issues and and that if you want to be involved in politics, that's the way to do it. It's been a great conversation. Uh, and I want to thank you, Eitan Hirsch, for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We will see you again next week.